Good morning. For all uh, the evils of media and social media, and you know, I speak about those frequently, uh, one accidental benefit, a benefit they, they bring, is the person can see at a glance that you, he or she, is part of a worldwide drama. One glance at a news feed and you realize there is a lot going on. And that works against our default perspective because our default is to feel that all, at all times, all of history is moving towards me. Now, all of history is going, moving along towards you, towards your moment, your thoughts at that moment. So from the point of view of each person, and you only have to just kind of sense this for yourself, my experience of the world is entirely about me. Your experience of the world is entirely about you. And modern media, at least, it removes this default illusion for a moment. You can see with your own eyes that there's a lot more going on. So uh, this norm that we have of self-centered seeing, like seeing out from the world, it's a deformity of our design. So it doesn't actually feel good. You, you've probably found that. Um, no person going about life in Nampa, Idaho, was meant to bear the weight of being the center of the world. We're, we're, we're not equipped for that. Uh, we weren't made to feel that the cosmos swirls around us and that you are there at the middle. Selfishness, it's a terrific burden. It's a terrible burden. So even while we, we try to get everyone around us to uh, obey our desires... We're trying to get everyone around us to cooperate, to fall into line. Uh, we spend a lot of energy trying to get rid of responsibility that comes with rule. Like being righteous. Like being just, being holy. We know that the one who rules has to have those qualities. The one who's in charge has to have the qualities of righteousness, holiness, so self-centered living, for a Christian, self-centered living is very uncomfortable. Taking on the, the burden of that kind of life. We were made for something else. We weren't made for that. Each of us was made for a place in the kingdom of God. We were made to be part of something much bigger than us. We were made to serve the only one who is righteous and holy. He's the only one who can bear the weight. This weight of holiness. The weight of righteousness. The weight of purity. He's the only one who can bear the weight of rule. So because we were made for, for that place, made to be submitted to his rule, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. Our hearts are restless until they find rest with him, till, till we find our place serving him. So the thing that Adam rejected, the, the place that Adam rejected, we want back. It's in us. We want it back. That life, that state of being, 
relating to our maker. And that state we call peace. So if you want a, a, a picture of what peace is, it's the thing that Adam and Eve rejected. That place of being with God, in God, walking with him, under his rule. Well, today, please turn with me to Isaiah 40. Um, we are looking at one of the great prophecies of peace in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 40 is a turn in the scroll of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. So if we consider the book as a whole, these visions, they're framed as God's message of mercy and hope in response to earlier announcements of judgment. There's been the, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are replete with, filled with announcements of judgment. And so uh, in chapter 39, they kind of they come to this head. Some Babylonian visitors have come uh, to visit King Hezekiah. He'd been sick. He got well. The king of Babylon sent some messengers to Hezekiah. Foolishly, Hezekiah shows them everything in his house, everything in his treasuries. He takes them through the temple, the golden temple. There's nothing he doesn't show them. And that visit became an occasion for God to tell Hezekiah that everything those visitors laid eyes on would be taken to Babylon. So you can imagine when that came about. As this came about under King Nebuchadnezzar about a hundred years later, that those captives, as they went, they saw this happened. The thing that Isaiah prophesied has happened. You can bet they wanted to know what else was in that scroll. It suddenly had much more prominence than it had had before. Yes, announcements of judgment. Sure, sure, the Lord's going to judge. Lots of prophets had said that too. It happened. They wanted to know what else. What else is here? And so what else God had said would happen became really important. Flowing right out of that announcement in chapter 39 of that removal to Babylon God gave Isaiah this vision that we're looking at today. We read comfort. Right out of this announcement of judgment, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah has vision. Before he, before he begins to speak in images, Isaiah writes, he writes what he's heard, something that he hears. He hears God speaking comfort. Comfort my people. But not only is God saying this to Isaiah, he is saying this to the whole heavenly host. Isaiah's caught up. He's in the heavenlies. How do we know this? Comfort here is plural. If we were to render this very literally, it might read, you all, it's, it's big plural, you all comfort, 
Comfort them. All of you, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And all of you, be crying out that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. That's significant. That's a significant picture. And here's what I mean by significance is, all of the things that happen to you individually, that happen to me individually, are part of something bigger. The way that your morning went today is part of something bigger. Your joys, your sorrows are part of a cosmic struggle. So right now, whatever joys you have, whatever sorrows you're carrying, those are part of a cosmic struggle. Something huge. What's happening in your life, for instance, is part of what's happening in the life of this church. Is part of what's happening in the life of the church in the Treasure Valley. And what's happening in the life of this local church and the churches of the Treasure Valley are part of God's cleansing and purifying work of his church in North America. What he's doing here is part of something one step bigger. He's cleansing. He's purifying. And all of these movements in every national church, in every local church, in every single Christian are part of his transforming work of his people in the world, in his people and through his people. So in Isaiah's vision, God calls the heavenly hosts Thousands upon thousands of the heavenly host to carry this word of comfort, to carry the word of pardon. That's quite a picture. And at the first, uh, Isaiah was the only human messenger that got to be part of that. It's angels upon angels and Isaiah. And he gets this particular word. But God was showing and he was telling Isaiah that this word was going to be announced. And it was going to be announced in a way that everyone would see and hear. That's the frame for the vision. And now the vision itself begins to unfold, and it begins with a voice. Maybe he saw nothing at first, but he hears a voice. He doesn't see a speaker, just a voice, but it's God's message. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is this voice describing? It's singular this time. You, plural. Sorry. I just said singular. It's you, singular. You guy. Prepare a clear and straight road. Out in the wilderness. Go out there and make clear. Make clear to everyone that this way is the way that the king will be coming. So go out there. This is the way by which the king who is coming is going to come back. And it will be so evident 
It will be so clear to everyone. It will be as if, and now the images begin to work. It will be as if valleys came up, mountains were brought down and hills were brought down and a great plain was there so that there's no possible way to conceal the coming of this king. These people are going to be ready and they're going to be able to see he's coming. And following this preparation, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and everyone shall see it together. And the Lord says, this is my solemn promise. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, on, on this side of Christ's coming, we know who that voice was. There was no ambiguity about it. This word from God went out from God in 700 B.C., around 700 B.C., to, through Isaiah, but it came to be through John the Baptist, our gospel passage this morning. So John, as people were asking him, are you the Christ? Are you the king that's coming? No, no, no. I am the voice. I'm that voice. You know the voice. I'm the voice in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. And he was, in fact, the herald of Christ Jesus. When Jesus began to teach, and he, he had this, this great practice uh, as he taught, he would reveal ancient prophecies. And he would just, with a word or a gesture, he would maybe even read a passage of a, uh, of a scroll, and he would say, this is just fulfilled. This is just fulfilled. You just took part in the fulfilling of this prophecy. He loved it. I love it. One of the strangest of these came in relationship to prophecies like this one, or when Isaiah says in several places, he talks about a highway. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return, and come with singing to Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away. That's so wonderful, isn't it? Joy on their heads, sorrow and sighing will flee away. Well, Jesus explained, I am the way. I am the highway. No one comes to the Father except through me. Likewise, the apostles said clearly, this is the message that we've heard. This is what we declare to you, that God is light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we walk upon the way as he is in the way, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So Jesus, the light of God, is himself the holy way. He's the true path. The ransomed of the Lord return. And they return to God's promises through him. They, they come with singing. They come with joy by way of Jesus. How do we find joy in the Lord? By way of Jesus. So Christ Jesus made very clear that the way to restore peace with God 
came by him personally taking the initiative, personally calling people to himself. He would personally ransom anyone who would come to him and anyone who would accept him as the ruler. Let's say that very clearly. Submitting to Jesus is the condition. It's the single condition for restored peace with God. Submitting to Jesus is the condition for him granting forgiveness. Done, he says. He set it down here. Done. If you submit to me and you are among my people, your warfare is ended, your iniquity is pardoned, double for sins has been given. That's gospel. That's good news. And that is the message That message of pardon is the comfort that Isaiah brings here in this prophecy. It was revealed to the heavenly host. It was told to Isaiah through him to the Jews. The enemies of God also heard it. Don't forget them. They're they're always there, hovering about. Undoubtedly, the accusers of all mankind, the dark forces, they heard it. And they pondered, how could God pardon rebels? How can God be just and righteous and let these rebels go scot-free? How can he be righteous if he doesn't punish offenders? How can these, these creatures that have shaken their fists at their maker... Have peace with the Holy One if they are constitutionally incapable of turning away from their self-love. And then, at the birth of Jesus, you can imagine also how the whole creation shook that night. How the whole cosmos was astir because the angels were out in the fields outside of Jerusalem, outside of Bethlehem, announcing peace on earth, goodwill, favor towards men. So somehow, this Jewish boy that was in that stable would reveal the glory of the Lord and bring bring about this peace. Prophecy is uh, it's marvelous. It's got this unfolding quality. So what I mean is a, a part of a prophecy will be fulfilled here. And then another part of it will be fulfilled here. Or that same part will be fulfilled in a different sense here. And then another part of the prophecy will be fulfilled here. It, it's unfolding. And we know that uh, the coming of Jesus Christ revealed the glory of God. In so many senses, this prophecy was fulfilled at that, in the incarnation of Jesus. To see him is to see the Father. But as yet, not all flesh has seen his glory unveiled. The prophecy is all flesh shall see it. It's not not yet been fulfilled. So 
What we can say is verse 5 has been secured, but it's not fully realized. So Hebrews says this, in putting everything in subjection to Christ, God left nothing outside his control. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection under him. This we wait for. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So that by the grace of God, others too might come into the highway. And so there remains a vision of peace yet to be fulfilled. Part of this vision is yet to be fulfilled. And so we find ourselves like the Jews in captivity who had words of assurance, but we also need this vision of peace as we stand between the advents. I mean, we look around our world and there is so much that is unsettled. We look into the world of our lives. There is so much unsettled. Our peace has been secured, but we don't yet fully enjoy it. And so Isaiah saw this. He saw that all flesh is grass and all their glory like the flowers of the field. Times and seasons will pass. Empires rise and fall. Rulers and nations dominate one another. What is happening now happened 100 years ago, happened 500 years ago. Empires ascending and descending. We are in the midst of nations rising and falling right now. That has always been the case. But all will come to an end. All will wither like the grass. It's only the word of God that will stand forever. Clearly said here. Peter, the apostle Peter, quotes this passage in his first letter. And he says, this imperishable, enduring word. What is it? This word that stands forever. He says, this is the good news that was preached to you. The thing that is unfading and imperishable is the work that God has done through Jesus. It's the good news of grace offered by Jesus Christ. So amidst the rise and fall of kingdoms that we sit in today, Christ continues to rule and he continues to offer mercy until the day of reckoning comes. And then that's finished. And Isaiah sees that we, God's people, have a part in this. I'm drawing to a close here. We have a part. In, verses, in uh, the vision in verses 9 to 11, we join Isaiah in the cry of joy. So this word that was proclaimed and set in stone, we also bring good tidings of great joy that will be to all people. See what he says. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His arm is Jesus. Behold, his reward is with him. His recompense, what's coming to him, is before him. God came in Christ to Judah, to Jerusalem, just as is prophesied here. He came. And now the imperishable message continues to go out. So the same message that was announced to the heavenly host 
given to Isaiah, we take it up. It's now on our lips. He rules, he forgives. What wonderful tidings of peace we have. We're encouraged to shout them. We're told, get up on the mountaintop and shout it. Why not? Because it's the best news. It's the only good news for the world. Peace with God. Lift up the message. He says, do not be afraid. It's a good message. So finally, God gives an image to help us frightened humans. Even though we have this great news to announce, we're frightened. We're so often frightened. So he, he gives this picture. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom. He'll gently lead those that are with young. Come on. And Jesus was clear, I am the good shepherd. I am this shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. And when one is lost, he goes after that lost one and he finds it. And he takes that lost lamb and he puts it on his shoulders. And when he finds it, he, he is filled with joy. And the whole flock is filled with joy. So in case we are dull to hear him today, God tells us again and again, peace is found in his arms. Peace is found in his bosom, listening to his voice. Peace is found being with the flock. And it comes when we stop trying to dictate, stop trying to have our own way, dictate the terms, dictate the way. It's not ours. It's not ours to dictate. When we stop and we accept, he is the ruler, he is the way, and peace is found in him. And we have it when we accept our place in his flock, in his family, in his kingdom. And he gathers us together and sings over us. That, that image of the shepherds singing over the sheep, that's, a, that's very real. Um, that's how a shepherd quiets the hearts of his sheep. They know his voice and they know, ah, our protector is here. That's for us, our protector. Our shepherd sings over us. Right now, he sings. His spirit speaks. He's speaking over us. And since our maker has said it, we can be sure that it's true. Peace comes there with him. So if you are limping now, limping into the end of the year, which is a very common American phenomenon, you find yourself empty and spent. Hear how this prophecy ends. Uh, at the end of chapter 40, comfort and peace concludes, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord 
shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lord, we thank you that your word is unchangeable. That when you say a thing, it is forever. And that you have guaranteed to us peace with you. The blood of your cross, you have secured for us peace with you. Lord, I ask that uh, for each of us, in the ways that we are resisting your rule, you would work by your spirit to pull down that resistance so that we would have peace in those areas too. That we would bring all that we are and all that we have to you. That you might set us in order. Lord, speak. Holy Spirit, speak in our hearts. Set us in order. In Jesus' name.